You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Part of me wants to just take the staff of Cork and Carey and and take it away from Jake Berger because it seems to be weighing him down. Like he's hitting like one something since we handed him the staff Uh, just a couple of days ago. I don't think I don't think one has to do with the other, but maybe just hand it to Michael Kopech because of the way that he's pitching. And also, it's kind of an apology for the fact that even though I, I still believe I was right at the time a month ago when I said, move that guy into the bullpen because he isn't showing me anything. And I think with what you saw in front of you at that point and all the things that you had observed over the years with him, that wasn't a terrible idea. But now I see him pitching so well. On the other hand, Ed, it was just the Royals and the start against the Guardians. Right after I get pumped up about that start, I see a stat that the Guardians have scored less runs this year than the Oakland A's. So is it real or is it fake? It's a fascinating thing right now for White Sox fans who are trying to figure out what they think of this team going forward. Well, if we need to weigh somebody down with the staff of Cork and Carey, we'll give it to Romy, uh, and that'll just end that controversy there. But Kopech, yeah, he's he's had two brilliant starts, and you know when you look at the data, he is throwing harder now, and and not just his fastball isn't really what he's throwing harder. He's putting more on the breaking stuff. His slider is at its its peak hardness if that makes sense. And he's he's consistent with it all the way through the lineup, right? So his average against Cleveland was 87.46 miles per hour on the slider, 86.9 against the Royals. Uh, that's up. That's up a couple of miles an hour over where he had kind of been sitting earlier on in the season. And the curveball, when he does break that out, he doesn't break it out much. He broke that in the changeup out more against the Guardians than he did against the Royals. But even that, he's put a little bit more on. He's about two to three miles an hour up on the curveball. Changeup, you're not supposed to be throwing it that much harder. He's been pretty consistent with that. He rarely uses it anyway. So he's not changing locations. He's not changing much of what he does. I kind of wonder with Kopech if this is, you know, the good news is that he's like Kyle Wright of the Braves was last year, where Wright was kind of a disaster in the year prior. He, he was a disaster in 21. He was, he was a highly thought of prospect with brilliant arm talent, but he never really put it together. Last year he broke out and was amazing for the Braves. And all he said that he did was he just started throwing with more conviction. He just started throwing with more confidence. He, started, he was more comfortable on the mound. He was more comfortable with his arm, more comfortable with his, his stuff and was just basically throwing it like a man who wanted to throw it. And maybe that's all Kopech's doing, and maybe that's that's the one little bit of difference. The pessimistic side of it is, is that the Royals are fourth from the bottom in batting average, and the Guardians are right in front of them. The Royals are the sixth worst team in the league as far as strikeouts. But, again, if you want to look at the positive side... The Guardians don't strike out all that much. They're towards the bottom of the league, right at the bottom. They've only struck out 351 times as a team, and that's pretty much at the bottom of the AL. So I, I think I think there's probably a little bit of both. I think Kopech is, is confident. He's throwing well. He's feeling it, and he's letting the stuff work, and he's beat up on two really terrible offensive teams. But honestly, if he had been lit up by them, he should be DFA'd. 
I mean, it, it, it's that simple. Probably that's a thing. If you're not doing well against those teams, that's a problem. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna hold on to the staff. I think we're not gonna move it, and we'll wait for his next start. But I right now. I have the urge to hand it to him, okay? We we actually have to get a replica staff, I think. I just put it on display over at 33rd in Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark at Cork and Carey at the park. Uh, Two-for-one burgers when you're dining on Mondays for non-stocks, home games, extensive bar with rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits, and wines. Your home base for White Sox pregame and postgame. Bring the kids over there beforehand. Bring the whole family. Get them some food in their belly. Have a couple of craft beers or whatever it is that you, that you want to drink and, and, and throw back. And at the end of the game throw a few more back learn more at corkandcarry.com a, a guy that has really piqued my interest in a very very small sample size but really piqued my interest is Clint Frazier and and the reason that Clint Frazier piques my interest is because this is a guy that I've followed now for years because I'm a fantasy baseball nut who I always saw this incredible potential from, who I always felt like wasn't used enough and properly by the New York Yankees. They had a guy who was drafted fifth overall when he was selected out of high school. And they bring him along and they get him to the majors. And he looks really good. He he looked very solid in 19. He had a very good season in 2020 in the shortened season. He had an OPS over 900. You can't ask for much else. He shows the gun off from the outfield. He can play the position. He has the potential to be the best right fielder you've had out there in a long time, White Sox fans. Like, this is an actual guy who belongs out there. And, you know, it's a small sample size. I don't know what he's going to do. But he has the pedigree. And if you're honest with yourself, right, Ed, this is a guy who who's only available because he had a freakishly weird path over the last couple of years with injury, right? Yeah, you go back and he suffers a couple of concussions when he's with the Yankees. Eventually, he develops vertigo. So he's got dizziness. He's got vision problems. And he can't hit. He can't do anything. Well, you can't see, right? You can't square up a baseball if the world is spinning around you. Um, so he has these problems. The Yankees move on from him, and that's fine. You know, the Yankees made a decision that they they didn't want to deal with the injury. They thought maybe they had better options. Whatever well, yeah, it is. Think about it. Think about it. In 21, when the Yankees let go of him, he's hit 186. He's got a 633 OPS. His on-base percentage and slugging are the same. They're at 317 each. And, and the guy has dropped off considerably from the shortened season the year before. And they are, they're probably like, I don't know if he's ever going to be right again. Yeah, and so he he gets let go. He catches on with the Cubs. What is the first thing that poor guy does when, when he's on the Cubs? Has an appendicitis attack, ends up getting an appendectomy, comes back from that, is never quite right, and then becomes an afterthought for the Cubs too and ends up you know out here in the world. And Rick Hahn does something that... I. I I almost, I almost think it might be the smartest thing that Rick Hahn's done as a GM. <laughs> right. And that is, is that he's, he's invested some time in guys like Clint Frazier and Adam Hazley, these guys who are former high picks and, and guys that have been cast off of other teams for whatever reason. With, with the Phillies, Hazley just never quite lived up to it. With, with Frazier, it's very clear that the injury history is, has kind of held him back, right? So... Han is taking a gamble on these guys. Well, that's that's kind of how you you sometimes find something good, right? 
when you're signing guys into the minor leagues that show up at the top of list, we've talked about this. This is like Rick Hahn's thing, right? Like if he goes into the trade deadline and the White Sox are sellers and until they prove a little bit more, that's probably where they're headed. But if he goes in a trade deadline and they're sellers, more than likely, whoever he acquires will be somebody that shows up on a couple of lists that you or I could pull up on the internet. It's not going to be because they found some diamond in the rough with their scouting because they've never been able to show that they can do that in trades. That's why they they constantly lose at them. And the only times they're ever considered winners is because they got people that were way up on top of like prospect list. So it, it's very Han-like to say, this guy was drafted in the first round, we're going to pick him up. In fact, it's very Kenny Williams-like to go do that because he loved to go out and get athletes and he loved to get names that he missed out on, right? And that's why Ken Griffey Jr., according to uh, Ken Williams, is a former White Sox player. Well, yeah, technically he is, but I mean, his entire Hall of Fame career wasn't with this team. That's why we had Robbie Alomar. We had his brother too, right? Sandy Alomar Jr. was on the team. Like Manny Ramirez was on the team. Andrew Jones has been on this team. Like that, That's a typical thing from the front office and and you hate it when they do it in the wrong way and they invest money and they and and they're trying to force you to believe this guy's still got something left in the tank at the end of their career but picking up a guy in the minors getting a guy a, a minor league deal and saying you know what let's see if he can figure it out while he's down in our system that's actually smart but i think it all goes back to their general mentality up there this is just the good part of that mentality i, th- I think that's a jerry thing you know you, you mentioned you started listing that out in the back of my head i'm sitting there going like well that that you know you can go back to tom seaver as as a member of the white Sox, where he you know he has that cup of coffee here that you know that one season here you, you can go back to guys like dave steeb who was a you know a, a toronto blue jay great and was here for really you know the, the very tail on the bottom of his career it might just be a White Sox Jerry Reinsdorfian thing to sit there and say, here's a little bit of fading star power to keep you as the fans interested, right? Aren't, weren't you interested to see what Ken Griffey Jr. had left in the tank or Robbie Alomar had I left was, in the tank? I was, but you know what? I was more interested in what Frank Thomas could still do, but they didn't want to bring him back. And then all he did was hit like another hundred or so home runs and well, play I, really well. I understand. That was the thing. I, they, always wanted, they always wanted the guy they missed out on. That was, that was always the problem that I had. You know, but I get what you're I get what you're saying. You're, you know, it, it, it might even be a Jerry thing. The thing, though, that I enjoy about Frazier is the potential. Right. He still has potential. That's what's great about this. He's only 28 years old. And if you sit there and say, OK, his year 27 or his year 26 and his year 27 seasons are explainable based upon the concussion into the vertigo, into the appendectomy. And man, I hope Aloy isn't going to come back and struggle coming back from that. Well, again, they, the Cubs only gave him 19 games. Yeah, last they didn't year give him a lot of time. Out. They didn't give him a lot of time. And that's why Aloy's got to go and, and get himself a rehab assignment. But you can you can look at that period where he falls off and say, what if we just erase that because there's extenuating circumstances? And if you do that, what the White Sox have then is a guy that the two seasons beforehand was a high-level guy at the plate and plays the field very well and could be very valuable to you. If only this season would have started on May 1st, Ed, things would be just awesome right now, wouldn't they? Oh, we'd be, we'd be having a much more fun time, <laughs> wouldn't we? Sox fans, if you're looking for exterior windows, doors, patio doors, storm doors, 
Look no further than Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. They've been doing it for 40 years in Oak Forest since 1985. The owner's hanging out in the showroom, and then there's an owner that's on site at every install with their own workers. They make sure the job is done right. Every major brand, no stock items. They're going to custom make it so it's a perfect fit, and there's no high-pressure sales. They don't show up in your home with some dingy little window example and then try to tell you that there's some special. And if you sign right now before I walk out the door, I can give you the special, but I don't know if it'll be there if I make it to my car. That's not happening. You go into their showroom. You see full examples. You see the window etchings. You see the different doorknobs. You see everything. They're a half block east of 159th and Ridgeland. Stop in and see them today, 6280 159th Street. See more at windowdooroakforest.com. Join us on the phone line right now from MLB.com, beat writer for the Chicago White Sox, Scott Merkins on the line. How are you, Merk? Good. How are you doing, Chris? Good to talk to you. So you're around these guys, and it's not been an easy start to the season. So what's the attitude these days? as they're starting to win games. How is the team feeling? Do they feel like they need to be vindicated? Do they feel like they're, do they have an edge because they know that people have been upset with the start of the season? Or are they kind of like in their bubble and feeling good because they're playing good? Yeah, I, think there is, I don't think there's any vindication because, first of all, as Pedro astutely, Pedro Rafaela astutely said before the game in Cleveland yesterday, at that point before they went out and dominated in Cleveland, they were 10 under. And he said, we're not getting the playoffs 10 under. And I think that's a fairly safe assumption. You know, I think, man, if things don't pick up and this division stays as it is, 82 wins could get you to the playoffs, maybe 83, maybe 84. I've joked with people that this could be the first team under 500 to win a division, not the Sox, but the team in the AL Central. That probably doesn't happen. Usually a team gets hot enough where they finish above it. But So I don't think it's vindication because they aren't there yet. They're still nine under. They're still five and a half back. They still have three teams. I mean, we're still very you know early in the season, very, very early. But I think they knew they could play this level. I think Michael Kopech has been spot on in a number of times. He's confident about this. You know, in terms of yesterday, he said, we feel like we can win the division and we feel like we're going to be in a good place once this stretch of four games in Detroit, three against Anaheim, three at home against Detroit comes to a close. There's seven and two in this AL Central stretch. So their attitude really hasn't changed much. It wasn't like, now we didn't, we don't see every moment. It wasn't like though when they were seven and 21 in April and literally one strike from being seven and 22 they were throwing chairs against the locker or, you know, screaming at people back and forth. They knew it was bad and they knew they had to fix it. And to some extent they have, but the fix is still ongoing. So I think they're happy with the progress they've made, but they know, you know, the work has literally just begun. My dad used to always say, and he's right, because now I say it to my kids, when you wait until you get to Memorial Day, then you know what kind of team you have, or you wait until you get to June 1st, and then you kind of know what team you have. There's already trade talk. I mean, I'm already seeing speculation today uh, by by the Astros. Like, would they go out and grab Giolito at the trade deadline? And I saw a speculation this week about maybe the Angels need to go get a Tim Anderson. You know, this team may be in that position, and they may be looking to move pieces at some point later on in the season. When does that moment occur, though, in your mind? Because they, they could go on a little run here with this schedule that they have. Then they have a very difficult June. So what what has to happen for them to either decide they're buyers or to say, that's it, we know we're sellers now. It, it's time to start moving in that direction. Yeah, I think it's great to speculate. But, you know, number one, there's got to be a fit, right? And number two, the Sox have got to want to trade these guys. So it's not like there's eminent domain, right, where Houston's like, hey, we've been to six straight ALCSs. We won the World Series. 
we like Lucas Giolito for our rotation, and the Sox have to say, yeah, well, all right, you know, we're doing all right, but we're going to give him up. He's yours, you know. I mean, th- th- there's got to be a fit, and they've got to want to make that move. Now, I think if it comes July 1st, when you start getting close, you're in the month of the trade deadline, and let's say the Sox are 15 under, and just hypothetical, let's even say 12 under, and 13, 14 back, then I think you start looking at, you know, do you trade a Lucas Giolito who is almost certainly going to test free agency after this year as the, the right he is absolutely a thousand percent earned to do? Do you trade him and try and get something in the season and maybe give him a chance to go win somewhere if you're not going to do it? Do you look at, you know, high-end relievers who have been great for this team this year, Joe Kelly and Kendall Graveman? Do you look and see him? I mean, Joe Kelly probably right now, if you're talking just stuff, Kelly's right there in terms of the elite guys right now. I mean, it, it's it's crazy how... Well, he's pitched, I think it's 32 of 34. He's retired, some 30, maybe 33 or 35. And Graveman's been great in the landing row. So there are, are options. I don't see Tim getting traded this year. I really don't. They have another year with Tim. You know, I don't. they really don't have a shortstop option besides behind Tim. Colson Montgomery's a nice product. I'm sorry, nice prospect. But I mean, you know, he had a nice year last year. He had 50 game on base streak. Didn't hit a great deal in the Project Birmingham, but that's understandable. That was more... I don't think they really cared at all about numbers there. I think they've cared about the experience. But the problem with Colson is, as of this taping, he's not played an inning of minor league baseball this year because of his back injuries. You know, we saw this, not to keep rambling here, sorry, but in like 2010, I I distinctly remember that the Sox were 24-33, and fell nine back, nine and a half under. At the 85 game mark, they were 47-38 and and three and a half games ahead. So they didn't didn't, didn't make the playoffs that year, so ultimately it's a wash. But... Changes can happen quickly. So again, I think barring something extreme, how about that? This is the team that's going to be you know, moving forward aside from the changes they make when injured players get healthy. You know, Tim Anderson, uh, you just had an, an article on him, I want to say, just a couple of days ago right. I saw. Yes. And, and there was a quote in there where he talks a little bit about how he, he feels like he can turn around very quickly. And he says something along the lines of, I still think I'm the best player uh, on the field when I step on the field, and I think everybody would agree with that. Now, I think just to make it clear, he said it's the mindset he has. You know, that's the mindset he had. Yeah, yeah. So I took it as a mindset too. I, I did. I, I t- right. And and let me tell you this. I mean, if you're at that level that Tim is, and I'm talking a starting all star shortstop, I'm talking a batting title winner, I'm talking a guy who I think has uh, the second or third highest average in baseball since he won the 2019 batting title. You should feel that, right? I mean, you don't perform at that level without believing you're really good. I, I'm sure Justin Verlander, when he went to the mound last year and had the incredible season and won the Cy Young, wasn't going to the mound thinking, geez, I hope you know these guys are fooled today because I have no chance. He was probably thinking, every time I went out there, he goes, I'm going to throw a freaking no-hitter. Well, see, and, and I think I like that, and I like hearing that because – I've been concerned when I've heard, you know, people saying, I don't know if he's a leader and you've heard, you see that he's struggling a little bit. And I've talked to people around the ballpark who have watched him now for years and they're at almost every single game or they sit up in the press area or in the scoreboard area and they'll say, you know, he's running a little differently. He still has this lingering injury and you wonder if it's getting to him because he's not performing very well and he's still sitting up at the top of the order. But when you talk to him, it sounds like it's not getting to him. He still feels like at any moment he's going to get hot. Yeah, I think he believes that because he's seen it happen. Now, you know, is he 100%? Is he 90%? I'm not sure. You know, he even laughed and made the comment to me that nobody wants to hear if he came back too soon or came back too late, but they needed him back. I mean, the records prove it, that they're a different team with him in that lineup. And it's not so much that 
with him there, he's contributing every second, but I think just his presence is a different feel out there. So yeah, maybe he's not completely, I mean, I don't know any player at this point that probably is a hundred percent, but maybe he still has lingering effects. That was a bad injury, you know, that he suffered in Minnesota and got back. I think like, I think he's four and a half weeks out, maybe almost five from that injury. So yeah, he's probably just getting the feel, but no, his confidence does not seem shaken, nor does it really ever see. This, this seems like the Tim Anderson that I've pretty much known since he was drafted. You know, I mean, just, I, I guess maybe not right as he drafted. Most kids in their drafted are a little, you know, reserved and just trying to kind of figure things out. But maybe like a year or two afterwards, this is the Tim Anderson that I've known. So I still think, you know, you, you, you want to see him drive the ball more a little bit. You know, I, I think his defense is kind of here and there, not here and there. His defense has some pockets where he makes mistakes, but he had a great game against the uh, Guardians on Tuesday night that really helped them win. So I mean, he makes the plays. He's a good, I shouldn't say here and there. I should say here and there, there are some mistakes he makes, but that's every player on the field. Scott Merkin and every guest on Socks in the Basement brought to you by the Village of Lamont want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure. Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore. Check out their 150th anniversary festival on June 10th. We will be out there. Come find our tent and see more at lamontdowntown.com. Merk, before I let you go, Liam Hendricks is probably going to be activated soon, I would think. I know he's got another bullpen session here over the weekend. Have you guys gotten any indication from him about his feelings, his anticipation for coming out in front of that crowd for the first time at the rate? Yeah, he talked about you know, really the only time, the, only, the two times he's talked to us since this, you know, he announced that he had Don Hodgkin from FOMO. He had a, a big press conference when he came back to guaranteed rate field. And he was tremendous in that and very good spirits. And then he was on with us via zoom from Gwinnett in his first game back. He talked about how emotional that Gwinnett game was. And there weren't, you could see the, the crowd, it was rainy that night. There wasn't exactly 30,000 people in that stands, but not only did the fans give us any ovation, but both teams came out of the dugout game an ovation. And he said, one of the, he kind of laughed and said, it's tough to have that angry edge to pitch angry when it's all good people you're going against, you know? So I can only imagine that's going to be 30 times whenever he comes back, whether, you know, there's an outside shot, he comes back in the Detroit series, or it's sometime this next homestand where it's three against the angels and three against the tigers, or maybe even later than that, you know, maybe even, maybe even beyond that, that he comes back and no one knows it's, it's, you know, Pedro has been very careful to the point of sometimes gets a little, you know, I think peeved, when too many things are asked by that, because I think they try to lay it out as much as they can without giving away too much information. Maybe they just don't have the exact information. So to make another long answer way shorter, it's going to be amazing. It's going to, like I've even said in other reporters and said this too, they should use him as an opener for the game. Just that one game, just to let him get that out. Let him take in the appreciation from people of what he's done. I love that idea. Make him an opener on the day that he comes back. I think it'd be brilliant. Yeah, let him come out. Let him come out before the game. Let him get like a 10-minute standing ovation when he's warming up. Let him get an ovation when he gets to the mound. And then from there, let him close it. Scott Merkins with MLB.com. He's a really good beat reporter who covers the White Sox. And we're lucky to have him on every once in a while here on Sox in the Basement. Thanks so much, Merk. Okay, Chris, take care. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes. 
in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. So I put a poll out on Twitter, uh, for those that still use the Twitter. I, you know, I don't even use the social media very much anymore, and I keep getting told by our social media manager, uh, that I need to be more interactive with the Socks in the Basement Twitter account. So I'm starting to try to put out more polls. And I asked the question, what do you need to be sucked back into believing in the White Sox? Because I see people that are just hyped at this point. And and, yeah. and just, just to review here, folks, there's good and bad in, in what I'm going to read off here. You took two out of three against Cleveland, and it got you to 13 under 500. Then you swept Kansas City, you got to 10 under. Then you take two of three from Cleveland, it gets you to nine under. Now, if you take three of four from Detroit, it gets you to seven under. Take two out of three from LA, it gets you six under. Take two out of three from Detroit, it gets you five under. That's like the minimum. That's what you need to do. You're at least on the path to get there. But it's been a long road to this point, and you still have a long road to continue. And even when I get to the end of that, the next series is the Yankees, and you're getting the Marlins, and you're getting the Dodgers, and you're getting a very, very tough June after all those series that I just laid out for you, and this path to climb back out, and things get a little bit more difficult. So with all that information fresh in your mind, can you really say you're back in? Because my urge as a fan is to say, yeah, I'm in. Get me out to the ballpark, because I love baseball. And I want them to come back. Like, I want this to be the magical 2023 season in which the White Sox start off at 7-21 and and win the AL Central. I mean, my my buddy Joe, who lives up in Minneapolis, St. Paul area, he he's a huge Twins fan, and he's also my firstborn's godfather. And he's been texting me all week. Oh my goodness, the Twins are going to blow this whole thing, and in the end, the White Sox are going to overtake us and win the division. Like, he's petrified up there right now, just watching his team and seeing what the Sox are doing. And yet, I look at all the stuff that I just read off to you, and I say, I'm not quite there yet. They still got to get themselves back to that 5 under 500 or better before they get to this tough stretch. And then they got to show me how well they play against good teams in the month of June. Meanwhile, according to our poll, 30% of White Sox fans back, fully invested, and ready to get hurt again. There's a few things to pack apart there. I mean, for one thing, I didn't think petrified Twinkies were a physical possibility, but (laughs) there we go. Two, some people are just hopeless romantics, and their heart is always ready to both love and get squashed like a grape. And three, I'm back in when they play good teams well. I, I, I don't necessarily have to say I'm back in if they take two out of three against a Yankees team or something like that. But if they're in the game, 
Okay, and if they're playing well and if they show me that they can be competitive and that they have an opportunity to win those games, I can start to come back in. If they win the games, if they go through that tough stretch in June and they come out of it and they're still winning series for the most part and they're playing winning baseball, I'm definitely back in. I'm definitely interested to see where this team could, could go and where I could take it. My biggest beef with the White Sox in this supposed contention window is I've never had the feeling that they were up to the task against teams that everybody recognizes as being true contenders. And I always thought that there was something about them that they never quite proved it. Going back to getting bounced by the A's in the in the, in the shortened season, uh, going back to getting bounced in the first round by the Astros, and then really all of last year where you never really felt like they had a chance if the team had any kind of competent level. And that extended to the Royals, let alone a team like the Yankees or a team like the Rays that are, you know, expected to go deep into the playoffs. And when you play teams that were winning at the beginning of this year, they beat you up. And now you're doing well against teams that aren't very good in a bad and division. It, it wasn't just it wasn't just they were losing. You, you hit it. You were getting beat up. Right. Exactly. So so here's the thing. First of all, almost 40 percent. And this is the biggest number are waiting until they're 500. And I think that's how I feel, too. You can't convince me that this team is going to win a division with an under 500 record. No matter how bad the AL Central is, you're going to have to get to 500 and then better than that to win. And, and because the Twins are going to get easy stretches as well, and they're not going to fall back under 500. I, there's going to be another team in the AL Central, even if it isn't the Twins. Somebody's going to be over 500 you're going to have to catch. Now, there are there are some people who believe if they get within four of first place, either way, they're back in. And 20% will only come back when they make the playoffs. Those are the hardcore. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting hurt anymore by you. You just go away and leave me alone. (laughs) Look, that's fair too. That's I'm at 500. I need 500. I need 500 and I'm back in. I can at least watch the games and enjoy them. Like I'm really enjoying this, this style of baseball and I'm seeing good things. I, I, I can do that. And I can also sit there and say, I'm not, I'm not putting my heart back into it until I see them get to 500 or at least see them. Like, how about this? If they, let's say, get to them, get like a couple games under 500 and then they play that really tough competition and they win a couple series, lose a couple series and basically play 500 for about two and a half weeks and they're still within striking distance, you go, okay, well, maybe they got to, maybe they can get on another run now in July. And that's the weirdest thing about the trade deadline. Like I see all these articles, like what are they going to do with the trade deadline? How do you know at this point? You've got to figure out what you're going to do in this little stretch here. And can you get yourself out of this hole and climb back closer to 500? And then you got to see what you do against the Yankees and what you do against the Dodgers and what you do against the, the, the Rangers. All these teams that have been playing really well that are good teams this year. What are you going to do against them? You're not going to know what you're doing at the trade deadline until the All-Star break unless you completely fall apart in June. Yeah. The only other way you know what you're doing at the trade deadline at this point is if you're sitting there going, look, we're committed to no matter what. We're committed to try and find a trade package for Lucas Giolito because we know he's not coming back now and we made that abundantly clear to everybody. And we're going to still try and contend for the division because what has to come back has to be somebody that can fill his spot in the rotation and improve us somewhere else. Hold on right? a second. So what you're, saying, what you're saying is that there would be a possibility, because I think this would be madness, that you would trade Giolito because you know you're not signing him in the offseason, you're not interested in it, and then still try to tell the fan base that you're competing? Only the White Sox could try and pull that off. I, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, it is a White Sox thing to do. That is a typical. That's a typical White Sox front office thing to do. Like we're going to keep competing. We, we, he just wasn't going to sign with us, 
And, uh, you know, we still think we can get in there. And by the way, get your uh, playoff ticket deposit in and uh, or otherwise you won't have seats next year. Right. Like they'll be trying to pull that on you as well. So, I mean, I can see them doing it. I, I, I'm not I'm not unaware of what of what team I'm talking about here. Yes. If, <laughs> if, this, if, we, if you and I were on a Yankees podcast, I'm sitting there saying, yeah, unless they want to try and trade Garrett Cole and then still say that they're going to contend. You know, I would slap you. I'd reach across the bar and smack you in the face. <laughs> I'd smack myself for, for saying that. If it, but in this situation, that's literally I, you want to speculate at what they're going to do with the trade headline, unless it's something like that, which doesn't make a whole lick of sense. Uh, you know, on its surface, unless they're looking to move pieces to try and retool on the fly here. That's the only thing that that you can really speculate on at this point, because if they're going to be sellers and they're going to sell Giolito and and try and pick up prospects, well, then none of this conversation matters about what we're doing. And they should be they should be making up their minds right now that that's what they're going to do. If they're going to go for it this year and and let the team play their way back in, then the trade deadline, there's nothing to speculate because you don't have anything to trade away to get anything useful back. So what are you speculating on? It's like it's like me sitting there saying, what am I going to do when I go to the Ferrari dealership? Uh, nothing. I, I don't have enough money to go buy a Ferrari. So no, I'm, I'm going to stand there and drool. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what Rakan would be doing if he's talking about bringing in a top-level starting pitcher. Right. That, that's not going to happen. They don't have anything to give away to right. anybody. No, exactly. I, I get it. You're right. That's been their problem the last couple of years. I mean, in in reality, that's why the White Sox have had such a hard time with with taking it to the next level because they go out and they make bad signings in the offseason and they make make poor roster decisions in the offseason because they're hurrying up and trying to figure out everything before the season starts. You go out and spend a ton of money on your bullpen because you know you don't have the pieces to go pick up a couple of, uh, of things that you may need in the store come end of July. And, that, and that's the problem. So you go and you 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 spend differently in the offseason because you don't have anything down in your system that you can move. And, and we've seen that over the last couple of years, and that's one of their big problems. It's another reason why you got to fire Kenny Williams, you got to fire Rick Hahn, you got to fire Chris Getz into the sun, and because these guys are never going to get you to that next level. On the other hand, though, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing on the field right now, and I'm, I'm curious as to, as to where it will go over the next couple of weeks. I saw the article that was the national article put out by The Athletic in which they took all of their beat reporters, including James Fegan. He's been on the show a bunch of times. He covers the White Sox for The Athletic, and they're supposed to give grades to their team. And Fegan gives the White Sox a D minus. And the write-up is so funny. I want to read it to you. It's great. I want to read it to you. So funny. It's so funny. Chances are this team is closer to okay than awful, but a miserable April in all facets of the game for a franchise purportedly in the middle of their contention window has put the White Sox in a far greater hole than any element of the offseason, which I maligned ever could. I don't know why I don't feel like giving a harsher grade than the D- that he gave to a stretch that included a brutal 10-game losing streak that everyone will be referencing for the rest of the year. I just think I have zero Fs left to give. I love that line. Brilliant. He gives him a D minus just so he can write that line. Brilliant. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.